Middle East, Ukraine and energy. Two No Limits partners are due for in-depth talks in Beijing. A trade forum there is bringing together world leaders, including Taliban officials. Over $1.9 million. That's how much Stanford is willing to pay the Justice Department. We look at the controversy behind the settlement. Chinese fighter jets soaring too close for comfort as a Canadian plane carried out a mission. Officials in Ottawa calling the 15-foot near-miss aggressive and unsafe. Wealthy Chinese nationals are sending their money out of China for safety, despite strict regulations. What does the money outflow mean for the global economy? Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Amid the turmoil in the Middle East, Russia's president is flying to Beijing to meet who he called a dear friend. But there's more to his trip on the sidelines of Beijing's Belt and Road Forum. Let's zoom in. Chinese Communist Party leader Xi Jinping welcomed Russian President Vladimir Putin to Beijing on Tuesday, kicking off the Belt and Road Forum overshadowed by the Israel-Hamas war. Putin is slated to speak after Xi on Wednesday at the forum. The two will also meet one-on-one later that day. A Kremlin spokesman said they're likely to discuss the ongoing conflict between Israel and terrorist group Hamas. They will exchange opinions. Putin's visit comes amid the Middle East crisis after Hamas attacked Israel earlier this month. Despite Washington's strong support for Israel, neither China nor Russia have directly condemned the terrorist group. Here's what retired Navy officer Lieutenant Stephen Rogers had to say about their meeting. They're all serving each other's purpose with regard to their goals and objectives in taking Taiwan, in taking Ukraine, and in taking Israel. While Putin and Xi hold talks on Wednesday, U.S. President Joe Biden will be in Israel for a show of support. Another topic on the Wednesday meeting's agenda, energy. These are significant projects, multifaceted, including those with the People's Republic of China. I mean the construction of a gas pipeline system through Mongolia to China. Putin has said the pipeline project would move ahead at what he called a good pace. The deal would help redirect Russian gas supplies to China that had gone to Europe. Russia has increased energy supplies to China as the West has imposed sweeping economic sanctions on Russia over its actions in Ukraine. Putin's Tuesday visit to Beijing marks his highest-profile overseas trip since being accused of war crimes in Ukraine. More export restrictions on China, this round taking new routes through third-party nations. Washington on Tuesday expanded licensing requirements for chip exports to more than 40 countries under U.S. sanctions. The policy seeks to prevent third-party players from smuggling American-made semiconductors into communist China. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo said the measure aims to keep China from accessing critical U.S. technologies for military use. Also on the receiving end of this rule, U.S. tech giant NVIDIA. Last year, the company barely met Washington's previous export threshold by sending watered-down microchips into the Chinese market. Putin's visit to Beijing comes amid expectations of a ground offensive in Gaza by Israel. Israeli troops and tanks are lining up at the border. And reports say an operation against the Hamas terrorist group could happen at any moment. And a warning, some of the following footage may be disturbing for some viewers. NTD's Jason Perry has the details. Israel has been launching relentless airstrikes on Hamas targets since the terrorist group attacked Israeli civilians over a week ago. 
At the same time, Hamas has continued firing rockets into Israel. And now, over a week into the war, Israel is gearing up for a ground offensive into the Gaza Strip to destroy the Hamas terrorist group. I spoke with Rick Fisher, senior fellow at the International Assessment and Strategy Center, about the upcoming ground offensive, and he described it as nothing short of a meat grinder. The terrain of Gaza is, is going to be very difficult. Uh, ruined buildings everywhere, bombed out buildings. And as for the possible occupation of Gaza to prevent another terrorist attack on Israel, Fisher said this. There is really no other way for Israel to prevent a similar occurrence other than to occupy Gaza, build a new government, and to spend probably a generation uh, building a citizenry that understands uh, the rule of law, understands the obligations of free people, and understands the necessity to live in peace with neighbors. This is in sharp contrast to President Biden's recent comments that it would be a mistake for Israel to occupy Gaza. And amid the war's smoke and horrors, Fisher highlighted a significant behind-the-scenes player. Overlaying this whole war has been the support of China. China's political, commercial, and military and technology support of Iran over the last 40 years has enabled Iran to turn the proxies of Hezbollah and Hamas into weapons able to wage war against Israel. With the attack of Hamas, China has basically come clean. It is now all but a declared enemy of the state of Israel. Fisher explained that this war proves that the Chinese Communist Party wants to destroy freedom in the Middle East. Jason Perry, NTD News. A $1.9 million settlement between one of America's top universities and the Justice Department. In early October, Stanford agreed to pay the huge sum to settle an allegation that the university failed to tell the government about its Chinese funding when applying for federal research grants. The settlement documents said between 2015 and 2020, Stanford applied for grants from a number of government agencies, the Army, Navy, NASA, and the National Science Foundation. But the university failed to mention a key point, that the same professor applying for federal funding also received or would receive money from two Chinese institutions, Fudan University and the National Natural Science Foundation of China. Under U.S. law, universities must disclose foreign funding. The purpose is to prevent sensitive research that the U.S. pays for from helping foreign countries. Fudan is one of China's top universities. In 2019, the school amended its charter, pledging to follow the Chinese Communist Party's leadership. Freed Australian journalist Chen Lei bears her soul in her first interview after emerging from a Chinese prison. She returned home to her children last Wednesday after being held for three years by Beijing on so-called national security charges. She shed tears at the airport when she saw her family. Watch. Released Australian journalist Chung Lei bears her soul in her first interview. She returned home to her children last Wednesday after being held for three years by Beijing on national security charges. Sometimes I feel like an invalid, like a newborn, 
and very fragile. And other times I feel like I, I could fly <laughs> and I want to embrace everything and I enjoy everything so intensely and savour it. You get to the airport, uh, who's the first person you see? Is it Penny Wong or is it your kids? It's my kids running at me and my mum who has aged a lot in the past three years. And we just all screamed. So they've said you shared a document. I mean, we're talking about a government briefing before you went on air, right? Yes. Yeah, and essentially you broke an embargo. Yes. By a few minutes. Yes. And that's the accusation against you. Yes. I mean, when I heard that, I gasped. <laughs> Cheng was a former anchor for a Chinese state television. She was detained in 2020 on suspicion of sharing secrets with another country. In 2022, she was tried in a closed courtroom, and details of the verdict were not made public until last week. Chung said she could not disclose details of her case, which is seen as an example of Beijing's hostage diplomacy. Her return signals a warming of ties between Beijing and Canberra. A mid-air spat between Canada and Beijing, and now a Canadian general is kicking up concerns. A Chinese fighter jet cut off a Canadian patrol plane as it flew over international waters off the coast of China Monday and dropped flares in its flight path. Reporters on board the patrol plane added that other Chinese fighter jets got a little too close for comfort, coming as close as about 15 feet from the aircraft. The Canadian general said the fighters became very aggressive to an unsafe and unprofessional degree. He added that Canada wanted to avoid anything that could result in loss of life. Canadian Defence Minister Bill Blair described the incident as dangerous, reckless and unacceptable. China's foreign ministry responded Tuesday, alleging the Canadian plane, quote, illegally intruded into what China considers its airspace. Beijing claims virtually all of the South China Sea as part of Chinese territory. Canada said the flight was part of a United Nations mission involving the U.S., Japan and France designed to enforce sanctions against North Korea's nuclear program. Hundreds of millions of dollars are pouring out of China, with investor fears growing about China's teetering economy. How bad is it, and how does the involvement of Chinese money impact the global economy? Experts break it down. Billions of dollars in China investment are reversing course and flowing out of China. A Bloomberg report anticipates the flow could reach $150 billion by the end of the year. What triggered the flood? China expert and branch president of the Epic Times Hong Kong, Guo Jun, says making money in China may become more difficult and that financial security isn't guaranteed. Chinese regulation blocks citizens from transferring more than $50,000 a year to foreign countries. But China's wealthy have discovered other ways of getting their money out. Many Chinese people choose to transfer their assets abroad through underground banks. A more advanced method is to transfer money through foreign trade transactions to avoid the high cost of using underground banks. Liang Xiaohua is a former chief compliance officer working in asset management in China. His work involved anti-money laundering efforts. He explained that using advanced payments, false contracts and employee salaries are among other options for moving money. Another tactic 
purchasing foreign properties. A group CEO at a Malaysian real estate agency told CNBC that it's a common option to diversify wealth out of China. Despite the high price tags, wealthy Chinese buyers spend about $1.23 million per property on average. A third of them are purchasing in California, home to America's most expensive housing market. Outside the U.S., the Chinese wealth outflow is also impacting Australia. Lawmakers there are calling on the Albanese administration to ban foreigners' possession of property in the country, particularly from China. Country Garden facing a major trial this week. The struggling Chinese giant could soon join the growing list of Chinese developers that have defaulted. With the company's debt deadline approaching, will the company be able to make a payment on time? Here's more. Giant Chinese property developer Country Garden could be on the brink of default. The firm has to make a $15 million payment on some bonds by Tuesday, when a 30-day grace period ends. If it doesn't, its entire stock of offshore debt will be deemed in default. And the chances of a payment seem slim. Country Garden last week warned that it couldn't meet all its offshore debt obligations. It's already missed payments on some other bonds, although their grace periods are yet to expire. Now, non-payment would make it just the latest Chinese developer to default. The whole sector has faced a mounting crisis as home sales slow. Data from JP Morgan shows developers accounting for 40% of the country's home sales have defaulted since 2021. But with $17 billion in offshore bonds and loans, Country Garden could have an outsize impact, with default there setting the stage for one of China's biggest ever debt restructurings. Investors around the world will also be watching to see how much fallout ripples through the global financial system. With jitters mounting, Analysts expect Beijing will soon have to step in with more measures to prop up its ailing property sector. Alongside the country garden crisis, how many more developers in China are battling financial problems? The country's eighth largest developer, Jamdale, is also on the list. After the company's chairman resigned on Tuesday, exchanges of the stock plunged the daily 10% limit. Its onshore bonds also kept declining until trading then was suspended. Shadowed by a dark real estate market, plus the leadership changes, Jamdale owes almost $2.9 billion. At the same time, another property developer called Ayuan is looking to restructure its own debt, holding almost $3.5 billion of it. To do that, the developer will have to convince three-quarters of its creditors to ink the plan. Eleven more Chinese developers are currently under threat of delisting. Beijing sending a new set of instructions for its state-owned banks to extend loan due dates for local governments under the Chinese Communist Party. The new loans will span a longer time and come with lower interest rates. The move will give local agencies more time to pay back the money they borrowed and pay less interest. It appears to be part of a broader effort as Beijing looks to reduce debt risks in a slowing economy. Economists are concerned that cities and towns with a lot of debt pose a significant risk to China's economy. That's amid a deepening property crisis, years of overinvestment in infrastructure, and huge spending to contain the COVID-19 pandemic. Local state agencies have racked up nearly $12.6 trillion in debt. 
or more than three quarters of the country's economic output in 2022. Coming up, a no-limit partnership getting stronger on the sidelines of the Israel-Hamas war. As conflict in the Middle East demands attention from world leaders, Beijing and Moscow are shaking hands. Notable common ground between the two, both have criticized Israel and are staying silent on terrorist group Hamas. How will the meeting impact the battle in the Gaza Strip? To find out, we sat down with Aryeh Lightstone, a former senior advisor to the U.S. ambassador to Israel. More on that after the break, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. As world leaders devote their attention to the Israel-Hamas war, two of Jerusalem's biggest skeptics are meeting on the sidelines. What's the underlying message? And how could the meeting impact the future on the battleground? Joining us to discuss is Aryeh Lightstone, a former senior advisor to the U.S. ambassador to Israel. Aryeh Lightstone, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Thank you for having me. It's been over a week since Hamas launched this brutal surprise attack in Israel. Israel is now at war. President Biden is planning to visit the country in a show of support. How do you see this upcoming trip? Well, I think it has enormous upside possibility and tremendous downside possibility. So let's discuss the upside for a moment. There is a world where President Biden can accomplish three things. Number one is to prevent a northern front opening up Hezbollah from Lebanon. He could deliver the hostages back with uh, swift negotiating with the Qatar and Hamas. And he could also go ahead and give Israel the assurances, uh, the weaponry that they need in order to win the war that they have to wage against Hamas and Gaza. If he can accomplish these three, it would be an incredible success. The downside is he could come and he could actually put the brakes on what Israel should and must achieve. And he could throw some, we'll call it the nebulous thoughts in terms of whether Israel truly has the moral and uh, military superior high ground in order to accomplish what they must accomplish. And Arye, this comes as, you know, there's reports of Iran backing these terror groups. We have President Putin visiting Xi Jinping in China. How do you see that meeting impacting Israel's war? You and I have spoken about this for the better part of six months. When the U.S. left the Middle East, it created a vacuum. That vacuum was filled, like I like to say, not by Costa Rica, but rather by Iran, China, and Russia. We can say Hamas, we can say Hezbollah, but we may as well say Iran. And when we say Iran, we may as well say China and Russia. This is what is actively occurring. So when Putin is meeting with Xi, what they are talking about is the strengthening of their ally, Iran, as they hurt one of America's number one allies, Israel. And speaking of these countries, are we seeing a reordering of world powers? Yeah, we're seeing America being incredibly weak on the world stage, and we're seeing others take advantage of that. If you remember, just three years ago, Iran was on the ropes economically, incapable of managing their own country's affairs, and certainly not meddling meaningfully in other countries' affairs, and I apologize for using the word meddling, causing death and havoc and destruction, the likes that we haven't seen since the Holocaust. You look at China, where they were, you look at Russia, where they were. This is what happens when the U.S. is weak. That weakness is projected and others take advantage of it. 
And given this influence that Beijing is trying to gain in the area, we saw this so-called peace deal brokered by Beijing earlier this year between the Saudis and Iran. Now, they seem to be maybe trying to do something similar, at least to grow their influence there. Where do you see this going in terms of all these different countries in the region? Yeah, and well, China is looking to expand its influence. If you look from China, Russia, Iran, potentially into Saudi Arabia and the rest of the Gulf, that's enormous Chinese influence. It needs to be countered. China is at very best our opponent, at more realistically likely an enemy. So therefore, we need to be able to counter them at every turn. Here's the question. The United States of America, President Biden, is going to show up into the region tomorrow. Will he coalesce our regional allies, Egypt, Jordan, UAE, Saudi Arabia, and others, in order to come up with a solution in order to help the Palestinians in Gaza and allow Israel to eradicate Hamas? Or is he going to allow our regional allies to dictate the terms of engagement? That is the difference between victory and stalemate. Israel cannot afford a stalemate. The world cannot afford a stalemate. The world will be safer when Israel eradicates this horrendous terror that is Hamas. Arya, you were part of the special envoy for the Abraham Accords, or this unthinkable in the past, peace in the region. How do we go back to that to ensuring we have peace in that region? No, it's very simple. Stand against Iran. Iran is the creator of all evil in the region, Hamas, Hezbollah, Houthis, and more. Stand with our allies who deserve far more from us, Saudi, UAE, Bahrain, certainly Israel, and develop a moral clarity which in this moment is going to be tested. Do we tell Israel there are no handcuffs? Not only are there no handcuffs, we are with you completely and totally. Now it would be a mistake for American troops to be on the ground. Israel, in order to establish deterrence, must defend itself by itself. It's in a rough neighborhood. You only win when you demolish anybody else next to you in order to demonstrate that you are the strongest. If you have to rely on the United States of America to accomplish that, then that will weaken the deterrence of Israel, not strengthen the deterrence of Israel. A lot at stake here. Arya Lightstone, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocusntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.